So that was last week, and this leads right into this passage where Jesus is saying, okay, uh, do not give in to greed, and also do not allow your heart to be consumed with worry about the basic things of life. So we're going to talk about worry and anxiety this morning. Before I read the text, I want to share with you a little bit about my life uh, and be transparent with you this morning. Uh, I do not do this because my experience gives me the authority to speak on this. My authority to preach this morning uh, is the same as, as uh, any man who would come into this pulpit to preach. Our authority is founded in the Word of God. Okay, The Word of God is what gives us the authority to preach. I had a friend who was about to preach to his congregation about marriage, and he said, man, I've only been married, married like 11 years, and i got guys in my congregation, women in my congregation have been married to one another for 60 years. Who am I to get up and preach to them about marriage? And I said, well, you're nobody. Okay, but you have the authority to get up and preach on marriage because the Word of God gives us uh, what we need. It's sufficient to give us what we need to know about marriage. And so this morning, the authority comes from the Word. Um, And yet, I know that when you talk about something like worry and you talk about um, what worry can give way to, which is like full-blown anxiety, that some of you may go, (laughs) I mean, you can talk about this, but you don't know. And so I want to share with you this morning that I do know. On Wednesday, March 31st, I laid in my bed, and my lower back and my side were aching. It had been going on for about a week. You know, you hope things like that just go away, and then you never talk to anybody about it, right? It's just like it goes away, you move on, you're like, there must have been some just little niggle, some little ache, some little pain. But uh, it, it was not going away. And as I was laying there in bed, I was like, man, this is getting worse. Like, this does not feel good. So I casually, without thinking about it, picked my phone up, and I Googled, uh, lower back pain, lower left abdominal pain. Now, if you've ever Googled a symptom, it gives you five little boxes, okay? Before you even click on like a WebMD article or anything, you don't have to go that far. Just if you just Google something, it gives you five boxes. Google itself goes, mm, here's the five things you might have. And so you scroll through them. And as I'm scrolling through them, I get to the last one, the last possibility, and it said pancreatic cancer. And the blood drained out of me, and immediately I, I started to panic. And so I said, well, the only thing I can do is get up early and call my doctor. So I got up, set my alarm so that I could get up and, and call my doctor as soon as they opened, get into the, the queue on the phone. And so I did that, made an appointment for that day. On that Thursday, I went to the doctor. And he says, well, I don't know what's going on, but uh, we probably need to get a CT scan and take a look. I was hoping I'd go in and he'd go, you're fine, just go home, you know, eat some Skittles, enjoy your life. Like, I, I, when he said CT scan, I kind of lost my mind a little bit. And, uh, and that's because as a pastor, I've walked through a lot of sickness with a lot of people. And um, listen, we've done eight funerals in this room this year alone, okay? Um, in, in 2015, we did 11 before July. And... There's just been, um, I've been at a lot of deathbeds, not as many as some brothers who have been in, in this a lot longer than me, but I can say that I've seen firsthand what pancreatic cancer does and how quickly it does it, and some of you have as well. So when the doctor said CT scan, um, in my mind, he was confirming this terrible cancer that I believed I had, and I began to panic. And over the next two weeks, I could not stop Googling. And I know that you might be thinking, well, just stop. Don't do that. I, I couldn't. I couldn't stop doing it. Um, And I started having other weird little pains. 
And all this was kind of eating away at me. Any ability I had to compartmentalize, which I've always prided myself on, to be able to say, well, here's a problem. I can't deal with this right now, okay? I've done everything I can do with it. And so now that I've done everything I can do, I box it up, I sit it over here until I can deal with it tomorrow. That was gone. And I didn't know why it was gone. I didn't understand how it could escape me so quickly. On Tuesday, April 13th, I was at my house and my family was out of town. I had just gotten back from a trip to Canton, Ohio with my, my best friend. And so I'm alone in the house that night and I walked in my house, I dropped my bags, I felt this little pain under my sternum and I was like, oh, what was that? And so I get my phone out and you know what I did? I Googled it and those two words popped up again, pancreatic cancer. And I felt my body go cold and I started feeling like I could not breathe. I felt like I couldn't stand up. I felt like the walls were closing on me. But I kind of shook it off and just got in bed. The next day, my wife came back into town. My kids stayed out of town. They're with my parents. My wife and I are going to have a date. You know if you have kids that it takes an act of Congress to go on a date, right? So when the kids are out of town, you have to go on a date. Like, it's just a rule. So we're like, we're going on a date. We get in our, our new Honda Odyssey. We're driving to Texas Roadhouse. And on the way there... I just, this thought hits me, man, if you die in the next 18 months, how's she paying for this van? And again, I felt my body go cold. I felt like I couldn't breathe. Um, I asked my wife, just, just put some air on, you know. Um, I, I didn't want to tell her what was going on, but we got to the restaurant, and she told me later that I spent the entire time staring over her shoulder into the distance. And what I was doing was staring at people enjoying themselves, and I thought, how could they do this? How could they enjoy themselves knowing that something could be wrong with them, you know? And I was just, I, I, I felt guilty about the dread I was feeling because, listen, to die is gain, right? If I, if I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. And so why am I panicking about this? The next day, I went to a patient first, and I was an absolute wreck. So if you've ever been to a patient first, they sit you on the little bed, and they have like the curtain, drawback curtain, right? And so they, they sat me in there, and this, this nurse comes in, um, this young girl, she comes in, she pulls the curtain back, and I'm sitting there, and she goes, so Mr. Howard, how can we help you today? And I just start crying. Didn't know why. I was like, why am I crying right now in front of this stranger at patient first? But I, I lost it. I dropped my phone, it hits the ground, I was like, I, this is a bad situation. I, I, and, and she's standing there like, you know, she doesn't know what to do. And I felt here, I kept apologizing to her, but they took x-rays on my hip and my back. They saw nothing of concern. The next day, Friday, April 16th, my wife went to Home Depot. And if you know me, you know I'm an introvert, okay? Introvert means you recharge by being alone. So usually if there's alone time, I'm, I'm going to grab it. I'm like, please, go to Home Depot. That sounds great. You get to be alone for a little while and recharge. And um, she left, and I was terrified that she was leaving. And she got 20 minutes down the road, and I called her. I said, you got to come back. And I had a full-blown panic attack. I couldn't breathe. The walls were closing in. I wanted to throw up. She came home. She threw me in the car. She took me to Mary Immaculate. And that is the story of how anxiety attacks landed me in the emergency room in April. So since then, I have switched doctors. I have lost weight. I have started eating better. Um... I've seen four different specialists. I've had two CT scans. I've been scoped. Um, I renewed my gym membership. 
I've tried on a few different uh, medicines on doctor's orders, and I see a counselor. And that's where I'm at. Uh, still dealing with some of the physical stuff, nothing compared to what some of you are going through. I feel sheepish even talking about it. I'm talking about possibilities that cause me anxiety. Some of you are dealing with the realities. But the battle for mental health is one that goes on in my life. And it is one where I'm thankful to the Lord to say that I, I, I believe I'm experiencing victory in it. Um, but I wanted you to know this morning as I talk about anxiety and worry that I've lived it and I am living it. I'm very much in that fight. If you battle with your mental health, you know that every day you wake up and that it's not a given that it's going to be an easy day. Um, and I want you to know that the eternal truth of passages like this Above any of the other things I mentioned, any of the other positive actions I've tried to take, eternal truth like this that we see in this passage have helped me more than anything. Okay? It has been the greatest and most powerful weapon in that daily war. And the last thing I want to say to you this morning is that if you are in a battle for your mental health this morning, as we approach this passage, I don't want you living in, in secrecy about that because you're ashamed of it. Okay? If somebody's kidneys start to fail them, we put it on a prayer list. If somebody's mental health starts to fail them, we don't talk about it. There's this great stigma attached to it in the church. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way if we're really going to bear burdens with one another. And so I wanted to talk about it openly this morning so that you know you're not alone and so that I could show you what you need more than anything else is Jesus and his word. All right, so let's get to work in the passage. Luke 12, let's read verse 22. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, not for your body as to what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, uh, they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life span? If then you cannot do even... A uh, very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying, for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, not your body uh, as to what you will put on. Probably the most broken commandment outside of love the Lord your God with all your strength and all your soul and all your might. Certainly feel like it is for my own life, which speaks to the failure I've seen in my life to have trust and confidence in God so often. To so often 
um, have it exposed that I am trusting in other things and putting my confidence in other things. When Jesus gives the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he makes this promise at the end of it. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, he says, I am with you always. I'm with you always, to the end of the age, meaning until he comes back, he's going to be with his people, always next to us, always seeing what's going on, always caring, always empowering the mission. And you would think that this truth would keep us from being afraid of anything, right? Now, there would be nothing that we would uh, back down from because, man, we've got Jesus with us. We should consistently have the attitude of David in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Shepherds would lead their flock uh, from pasture to pasture, and sometimes that would require them to walk through these valleys. And in the valleys, there were all these sorts of rock crevices, and those were a great place for a predator to hide out, to jump out and, and get themselves an unsuspecting sheep. Also a great place for a robber to hide out and jump out with a club and um, give a beating to the shepherd and try to steal from the shepherd and steal the flock. But the sheep would walk with confidence through the valley because their shepherd was leading them and their shepherd was defending them. He had the staff to guide them when they would start to venture off into those dangerous areas in the valley, and he had the rod to, uh, you know, if a robber came out with a club, the, step, the shepherd took the rod, and it was time to have a battle, right? And he'd take that rod and defend the flock, take that rod to, to beat off some um, random lion that might try to jump in and, and, and take, take one of the, the sheep out and, um, and to eat him. And so, their confidence in the valley was because of who was with them, their shepherd. And, and it's the same way for us. We, we don't need to fear the valley of the shadow of death because of who is with us. We don't need to fear a lack of food or a lack of clothing because who is with us. If you watch your TV, there's all sorts of ads about your body, Right? Think about it. Most of the stuff you see on TV, it's about your body. It's about lotion to put on your body, medicine to put in your body, um, food to feed your body, soap to clean your body, blankets that warm your body, beds that rest your body, clothes that cover your body, right? They advertise these things to us as if this is all that life is made of. But in verse 23, Jesus said, life is more than food and the body more than clothing, so in the same way that your life does not just consist of the abundance of things that you own, your life is not just about what you eat and what you put on your body. Your life is not just about the state in which your body exists in the here and in the now. Your life is not defined by your health. Your life is not defined by what you have, by what you need, by what you eat, by what you wear. This is how atheists live. This is how the godless live. They are defined by these things. They are defined by what they own. They are defined by how they feel. They are defined by what they put on and what they put into their body. Because for them, life on this earth is life. They have bought the lie that this is all there is. That look around, this is it. You do this thing for 70, 80 years, if, if lucky, and then, you know, they have a, a, a service, they say some nice things about you, put you in the ground, they go eat fried chicken. And that's life. And there is nothing beyond that. That is what the world tells you. 
But we know better. We know about eternal life. We know about forever. We know about final judgment and, and that there is this great promise of sharing in the inheritance of Christ if we are those who have repented of sin and put our faith in Him, if we are identifying with Him, if we have union with Him. And so our life is not defined by what belongs to us. Our life is defined by who we belong to. I once heard R.C. Sproul tell a story about how his dad um, had a stroke and, uh, and he had three of them. While R.C. Sproul was in high school, his dad had three strokes. And his dad was a man of God, and he said he remembers seeing his dad with his, he's, he's barely able to talk because um, his speech has been so slurred by the strokes. And he would sit in his recliner, and he, he, the strokes had taken his sight so that he would have to read the Bible with a magnifying glass. And that the verse that he would read more than any other, and that he would actually read out loud to his son, was be anxious for nothing, what you should eat, what you should drink, what you should put on. And then he would look at his son and say, R.C., your life is more than your health and your wellness. His dad was defined first and foremost by who he belonged to. Jesus illustrates this for us by talking about the birds in verse 24. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. His point's pretty clear. If God will feed birds, okay, if God will take care of birds, don't you think he's going to feed you? Like, Don't you think you're worth more than a bird? Birds don't have jobs. Birds don't have a 401k. They don't have barns. They don't have warehouses. They don't have debit cards. They don't have grocery stores. And yet they eat every day. And even though the birds don't have this theology straight in their head, we know that the reason they eat is because of the, of, of the God of the universe. right? It's because He provides for them. That is why the birds are able to eat. So if the birds rely on the provision of God and they live and they thrive... Doesn't God care about you enough for you to live and you to thrive because of his provision? If you're not convinced God cares about you more than a bird, I'm not going to take that for granted this morning. Some of you might have walked in here feeling like you are worth nothing because you have bought the lies of the world and maybe lies of people that are in your life. Or maybe it's just been your experience. But if you aren't convinced God cares for you more than a bird, let me just remind you of the order of creation in Genesis and God's own commentary on it. He creates the birds of the air to fill the heavens on the fifth day, and at the end of that day, he sees what he has made, and it's what? It's good. And then on the sixth day, he reaches down into the dust, and he forms Adam. And he breathes life into his nostrils, and he sets Adam on his feet. And he does not see that it's a good thing. He sees that it is a very good thing. And so believe Jesus when he says that God cares for you more than the ravens. Because he's made this clear from the very beginning of creation. And after this illustration, Jesus asks a very practical question in verses 25 and 26. That is probably, these two verses are probably more helpful to me since the stuff I've been dealing with since March than any other part of the Bible. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? 
And the answer is nobody. Not, not a single one of us, right? We can wring our hands, we can fret all we want. It doesn't actually do a thing for us. It does nothing. It does not lengthen your life. Actually, it shortens it. It steals time away from you. It, it doesn't solve problems. It makes your life more complex, more difficult. And I love how Jesus frames it here because he's saying, if you can't do that, if you can't add a day to your life through your worry, then why be anxious about anything? Doesn't your inability to add time to your life through worry show you you're not really in control anyways? That your days are numbered by the Lord. They're not numbered by your own will. And so you probably should just leave your life to the one who's actually in control. You know, in April and May, I couldn't stop Googling like it got bad. My wife was threatening to take my phone away legitimately. We'd be watching TV. I'd try to sneak a Google. Because I know this sounds crazy to you, but I just got to a place where it was like every time I'd have a thought about, like, oh, I just feel like something's wrong. I feel like this pain here. What is this? I, I, I wanted to just get on there and Google it. And she would go, what are you doing over there? What are you doing over there? I'm, like, I'm just looking at sports scores, stats. I'm not doing anything, you know. Um, and I wasn't lying, uh, but sometimes she'd catch me. I'd go, I know, I know. I got to the point where I had to realize there was nothing on that search engine that was going to add an hour to my life. I was asking Google to provide something for me that only Jesus in his word could give me. Because what do you want when you get on there and you start Googling symptoms? You want something to pop up that goes, all this is normal, you are fine. Right? You're just hoping you'll see something that will make you feel okay. You want peace and rest. It may not be Google that you turn to for peace and rest when your anxiety is bad and your worry is bad. I don't know what you turn to. I don't need to list it out for you this morning. You know what you turn to. And I'm going to tell you right now that that thing, whatever it is that you go to, is not designed to give you the peace and rest that you need. Jesus is the one who gives us the peace and rest. The Word of Christ is where we find our peace and rest. Understand, if you're in a real battle for mental health this morning, okay, because there's some of you, you're like, I worry. It, it's, it's sinful and I know I need to stop. But it's, it's not like a mental health battle. You're just like, yeah, it's this annoying thing I do, and, and, and that's, that's kind of as far as it goes. And there's some of you this morning, and you're going, I battle with this every day. Worry is a dark cloud. When it comes over me, I feel the gloom of it consume me. Listen, there, there's a place for counseling. I want to tell you that this morning. There's a place for Christian counseling. Christian counseling is a wonderful thing. Um, there could be a place for you to see your doctor and get medicine that will help you. Far be it for me to be the one talking to you about that. There's nothing wrong with that if your doctor says you need that. There are practical coping mechanisms that can be helpful, but at the end of the day, there is nothing that will help you more than Jesus in his word and his promises. Nothing. Your life is in his hands and you've got to turn it over to him. There's nothing anybody's going to prescribe you more powerful than the peace that comes from trusting Jesus. There is no counselor greater than the counselor of his spirit to your soul. There is no coping mechanism more pacifying than the comfort of God. Second illustration, this one is um, aimed more at the issue of clothing. He says, look at the, the flowers in the fields, right? Look at the lilies, 
not even Solomon. Solomon was the, he's the Michael Jordan of luxury, okay, in Israelite culture. He's the poster boy for, for Israelite um, luxury. Not even Solomon, at the height of his riches and his power, had clothes as dazzling as what the lilies wear out in the fields. Now, you see a lot of weird stuff when you go to Target, but you don't see lilies shopping, Right? You don't see them shopping for clothes. You've never heard about a lily sewing their own clothes. They're beautiful because God made them that way. That's why they're beautiful. You ever do that? You ever stop in nature? You look at the sky, just look at the leaves, just just find something around you and pick it up and look at it and go, God made this. He designed it. Like an artist sits down with a blank canvas and paints that God took this individual leaf of all the billions of leaves on the earth and he was like, I'm going to make this one like this. For my glory, I'm going to make this one like this. Right? So you you pick up a lily and you understand that God is the fashion designer for the lily, right? God is the one um, picking out everything about it. It's all his idea, it's all his invention. Now, it's the same principle as the birds. If he's taking that much care with the flower, don't you think he's going to care for you? He made them on the third day of creation and saw they were good, but again, he made you on the sixth day and saw it was what? very good. And so light at that, you, you don't need to be paralyzed by fear over something like clothing. If he takes care of lilies, surely he will take care of you and your kids. And if we don't accept that and we don't believe it, it exposes a small faith on our behalf. Now this is hard to hear. This is the last thing I want to hear in the midst of a battle with anxiety as Jesus go, your, your faith is small. Right? That, that's a tough arrow to take to the heart right there, but he says, you men of little faith. Disbelief at its core is the failure to take God at His word. It's that straightforward. We, we don't believe He's in control, so we don't trust Him. We don't, we don't believe what His word says, so we don't trust Him. These are not easy words. But I want you to know from Jesus, this is a rebuke of love. It is meant to push us forward to a greater faith. We're not paralyzed by the bully of worry. The bully of anxiety. And so, what's the opposite of all this then? You say, well, right, I I don't want to be eaten up by worry. I don't want to be eaten up by anxiety. So so what's the opposite of doubt-filled worry? And Jesus gives us the remedy. In verse 29, he says, Do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. So what that tells us right away is the primary thing you got to think about when you get up in the morning is not, what am I going to eat? How am I going to get water? How do I get clothes? Now for us as Americans, most of us in this room, there's been very few days in our lives. Not all of us. I can tell you right now, for me, there's never really been a day where I've woken up and I've gone, I don't know how I'm getting food, water, or clothing today. I, I, I've been blessed, man. I've been blessed. Grew up middle class, living in the middle class, all right? And, and, and generally in the middle class, those are not questions you're asking. There are brothers and sisters we have around the world who legitimately wake up every day, and when they think, how am I going to get clothes, it's not like, how am I going to get those new designer jeans I want? That's not, that's not what this is about here. All right, They wake up and they're like, how am I going to get something to cover my body? How am I going to find clean drinking water? How am I going to find food? There are people living like that in the world, a vast amount of people, living on less than one American dollar a day. 
And if you were in that spot, these seem like logical things to think about because you need them to exist. Jesus says, indeed, this is how the think in verse 30. This is how the world goes about their day. Unbelievers wake up and immediately they start fretting about what they need to survive because they are like spiritual orphans with no father. In fact, they are spiritual orphans. And they seek these things in their own strength because in the ignorance of their lostness, they think there's no other way. The only way to get what I need is to go about it in my own willpower, my own strength. I've got to pull myself up on my bootstraps and go for it, right? But we have a heavenly Father that we know through the blood of Christ, and He knows we need these things. He knows. And so instead of waking up every day and chasing food and water and clothing, we seek what? The kingdom of God. And this is a positive command. We got some do nots earlier in the passage. Here we get this positive command, right? We get this hard blow with you men of little faith. It's piercing, but this is a positive command. He doesn't leave us ripped apart by the rebuke. He says, okay, this is going to be hard for you to hear. Your faith is small, but here's how to live. I love you and I'm going to tell you how to live. And so our first aim when we wake up every single day is to seek the kingdom of God. It's the same thing Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the main priority of a converted Christian every day to seek the kingdom of God. Now what does this mean? And if this is the remedy for anxiety, it's really important that we know what it means to seek the kingdom of God. And so what it means is you seek the things of God over the things of the world. The kingdom of God is his, the sphere of His reign. It's His business. And when we seek the kingdom first, we're seeking His business first, not ours. We seek salvation. We seek obedience. We seek to share the good news. We seek to pray. We seek to grow in the Word and be sanctified. And what Jesus is saying is if we seek God's business first and foremost, we can be sure He will take care of our business like He has promised to. We seek His business, He takes care of our business. He feeds us, He clothes us. And then I love verse 32 because Jesus is so gentle here in this verse. He says, do not be afraid, little flock. Man, I love this. I love it because it's a picture of how vulnerable we are. A lot of us think we're grown rams, don't we? Grown rams with grizzled horns, and we've been through our battles, and we don't need anybody. You're a little lamb. If God showed me anything this spring and this summer is that I am not the barrel-chested ram I thought I was. I'm a little lamb. Little flock. And how terrible would it be if, if, if the vulnerable little lambs came to the shepherd seeking the things that they need, seeking the kingdom first, and found out he didn't want to give it. But what Jesus is telling us here is that the Father has chosen gladly give the kingdom to those who would seek it. 
So he looks at the vulnerable little lambs and he says, seek the kingdom. God wants to give it to you. That is good news. It's good news. If, if we were to seek the kingdom and find out God wanted to withhold it and not give it to us, that's something to fear. That is something to worry about, but we don't have to. This should launch us into action. Being freed from worry, we can take on great works for the sake of the kingdom. We can sell our stuff. We can give it to charity. right? We can be the generous people He called us to be last week. Instead of building bigger barns, we can be generous because we're not fearing uh, what's going to be on the dinner table. We're not fearing if there's going to be stuff in our dresser drawers. We know He's going to take care of us, so let's give stuff away. Let's be generous for the sake of the kingdom. And as we do this, we're making money belts for ourselves that do not wear out. Money belt was like a first century wallet. Wallets wear out. If, if I called 10 guys up here this morning and told them to lay their wallets on the stage, I bet there's some rough looking wallets that come up on the stage. Some of y'all have been clinging to this wallet too long. Some of you got the Costanza wallet. It's this big. You got back problems because your wallet, okay? You've kept every business card since 1996 in your wallet. All right, so um, those things wear out. Money, money belts would wear out. Money belt was first century wallet. You, just, you wanted to keep your money close to you, so you would keep it on this little pouch on this belt, and those things wear out. But when we divest ourselves from a love of this world and we trade it in for a love of the king and his kingdom, we get money belts that don't wear out, meaning we're storing up treasure in heaven and it endures. And if our treasure is in heaven, guess what? Verse 34, your heart's going to be in heaven too. Isn't that where your heart should be if you're seeking the kingdom first? You know the number one reason I was so scared about my health? It wasn't dying. I, I'm not looking forward to getting dead. I think a lot of you are probably in that place this morning. You think, well, what's actually going to happen there? You know, What's going to take me out of here? I'm so down for Jesus to return before that. But getting dead, you know, that I don't look forward to. Dying itself, I'm not afraid to die. That's not what it was about. It's what I was leaving behind. Couldn't stop thinking of Katie. Couldn't stop thinking about my wife and my kids. Couldn't stop thinking about them having to move on without me. And what I've realized is that even something as good and as precious as family can be held too tightly. Because ultimately, she is my child before she's my wife. Or she's God's child, I should say, before she's my wife. You were like, that got really weird. Um, <laughs> she's God's child before she's my wife. Jessica, do not clip that for social media. Thank you. So, um, Those kids... My son turned 10 on Friday, which is crazy. Um, those kids are not my kids. They are lent to me for a time, and I steward the raising of them. But they're God's kids. So my anxiety actually exposed this thing in me where I was giving everything to God, but when it came to my family, I was like, not this. You don't get this. I got, I've got to take care of this. It's all on me. And in the last few months, the Lord was saying to me, little lamb, seek my kingdom first and give me everything. Let me care for your family. And so 
my heart cannot be primarily captivated by bigger barns, but it also cannot be primarily captivated by my wife and my kids. And neither can yours. It's got to be the king in the kingdom if joy is going to freely flow in our lives and out of our lives in generosity towards others. And so what are you afraid of? I want to say this to you this morning. If you're struggling in this area, man, do not hide it. I had, God was so good to bring the people of the church around me in this time. I know some of you are hearing about this stuff for the first time today, but um, I'll say, I'm going to shout him out. I don't think he's in the room this morning, but Dr. David Kramer, man, that guy in the last few months has been just a picture of Jesus' grace toward me. An amazing man who would take my calls on him going, David, this is happening, what's going on? And he'd say, well, let's talk through it, you know, let's talk through it. I had one guy in the church come up to me after church on a Wednesday night, and he said, God's telling me to talk to you about my health anxiety. And he had no idea what I was going through. And so the Lord is with us. And one of the ways he shows he's with us is through his people. It's through his people. And so don't, don't try to hide it. Find somebody to talk to about it. If that needs to be me to start, I'm happy to talk to you about that. And I know of other brothers and sisters in the church who've been walking these same roads and through these same battles. And um, I know that they would love to shoulder up with you and bear burden with you. So um, talk to somebody. Okay? Talk to somebody. Because what I want to tell you is that as you deal with this, there is joy and handing it over to Jesus. There is joy in the freedom that Jesus brings. There is joy in the obedience to him, in believing him, and in trusting in his word, and taking him at his word. And so what do you fear? And, and where is your heart? And, and what do you treasure? Ask yourselves these questions. Take stock of what's going on in your life. Take stock of whatever battle you might be going through. And today is a day to say, I don't have to live like this. The Lord is telling me to seek his kingdom first, and I'm going to start doing it. We're going to pray here in just a moment, and uh, the worship team is going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a song, and, and I just want to remind you of something I said last week, that the stairs over here to the left and to my right are open. If you want to come and pray here, or you want to bring someone with you to pray here, you can do that during this time. Um, if you would like to know more about knowing Jesus, if you would like to talk about your own struggles with anxiety and worry, um, if you want to know more about joining our church, uh, about getting baptized, any of those things, then just get your phone out and you can text uh, connect at seafordbaptist.com. Just text that email or you can email us at that email and we will get back in touch with you. But I also just want to remind you that I'm at the, the table back here in the lobby um, after the service. And if it's not me, then Ben or David will always be there. Uh, and so we would love to talk to you. David's out of town on vacation, well-deserved today. Uh, but um, Pastor Ben and I would love to speak with you and talk with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then uh, we'll sing to him. Father, we thank you for this time in your word, and uh, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to share. I pray it's been of help with people. Father, um, I don't know what everybody's walked into this room with today. Between COVID and just everything that it's required to change in our lives in the last 18 months, I would imagine there's quite a few people who have rode some tough waves in the last uh, year. And then apart from COVID, there's just the the stuff that happens in our lives, the, the drama of our lives through 
um, health issues, family issues, uh, marital issues, all those things that, that we, all the baggage that we bring to the table, all the things that uh, end up affecting us, God. Even if COVID had never happened, those things uh, are enough to deal with. And then you stack a global pandemic on top of it. It's a tough time. And so I pray that during this time, we're turning to you and we're seeking your kingdom first, seeking your business and trusting you to take care of ours, our families, our health, our money, what we wear, what we eat, what we drink, what we drive, all the things that worry about that we worry about, our mortgages, our retirement, all the things that tend to take up space in our minds and our hearts, God, we, we need to give them over to you. I pray that we would be a people with no fences in our hearts, Lord, that we would not fence anything off and try to deal with it on our own. We would not just give Jesus a portion of our life, even if what we're giving him is, is 97%. We want to give the three, Lord. Let us hold nothing back and be surrendered people of God. We pray this in Jesus' name.